0: It's much bigger than that. And I was so delighted that uh, Drees and Heath, for example, you know, talked about Tulsa. And so even if all of the descendants, and first of all, there's a tragedy, there's a resistance to doing anything, but even if all of them had received compensation or a check, it really does not replace community. The Greenwood District, which is Black Wall Street, and I learned that through, you know, I, I always thought it was just Black Wall Street. But there's a green, Greenwood, that community was destroyed. In order to replace that, that takes more than a check. That takes looking at how do you restore community. And so much of what we talk about in terms of the National African American Reparations Commission is, yes, individual benefits are, are, are you know, they're, they're if, where they're warranted, that, that's fine. And in some ways, the, the, the question of the collective becomes important. Ujima, I mean, Ujima, the collective becomes, the, the community. So, for example, how do we talk about, and Kenneth referenced it, you know, how do we talk about land and economic development for the totality of our community? How do we talk about repairing the healthcare infrastructure within our community, communications infrastructure? I mean, these are community based concepts that we need to also focus in because we have seen community after community after community destroyed. So Elaine, Arkansas, they're not necessarily looking for a check. They're talking about how how do you restore the community, but also restoring memory, identity. So it's deeper than just, again, the question of a check. And you massacre after massacre after massacre, not just massacres, it was mentioned today you know, the whole question of of urban renewal, gentrification, displacing black people and black culture. How do we retain community? And so I'd like people to really think about that so that it's not one against the other. It is really a bigger, broader concept of how do we again achieve full repair, full uh, uh, restitution of our people. And that requires us to also focus on the collective uh, in its entirety, I might say.
1: So, shall I jump in? Yes, yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, so, the harms from the enslavement era and thereafter, they were multifaceted, as I always say. The sublimity must be multifaceted as well. I will be the first to say, okay, and, you know, because I always bring this up, that Cash payments, direct benefits are an important and necessary component of any claim for damages. I'm a lawyer. You get hit by a car, you know, then you get damages. That's what what it is. I know my mentor, Buddy Murray, said, I want to get my teeth fixed. But that's just one teeny-weeny small part of it, okay? The process of reparations settlement can be fashioned in any way as necessary, in any form it's necessary, to equitably address the countless manifestations of genocidal treatment that uh, accrue from chattel slavery and uh, its continuing vestiges. Some forms of um, collective benefit could be land. Can we talk about land? Can be housing. Can be community and economic development. Can be cessation of taxation. Can be the right to self-determination. Can it be repatriation Resources can be the direction of, of monuments and uh, and museums. It can be scholarship. It can be truthful textbooks. They can be correcting the um, uh, the excesses of the war on drugs, which has been targeted to black people. It can be pardon, okay, commutation of sentence, clemency for those who um, were victims of the COINTELPO counterintelligence um, um, uh, 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 era. Uh, the line, though, is that the commission, HR 40, it's the having for the commission to bring the minds together, to come up with these recommendations, not for me to just spout it out or someone else to say, I have the end all or whatever. It's from the body of experts to come to hear from the community, okay, and put forth some proposals um, for um, consideration. Could I follow up on that
2: briefly? Because what said was so important. And I hope folks uh, saw today at the hearing, Kathy Masoyoka from the Japanese American community who did a fantastic job of testifying. And as she said herself, when this issue first came up in the Japanese American community, she was against reparations. And there were many Japanese Americans who were against reparations or who thought it should go this way and not that way. And part of her testimony that I think was so important and part of what we can learn from their experience is that, as she said, the commission is a beautiful vehicle to bring people together to have these discussions. There are so many people saying, I know what the solution is. It has to be my way or it's not real reparations. And what I want to say to them is, who died in appointed you, God? Who said that you're the most brilliant person on the face of the earth? Maybe I have an idea that's different from yours, and I think my idea should get the same respect as yours. That's why you have a commission of experts, who can bring this information together and in the conversation and the hashing out of what it should look like, there is not only a healing process that goes on, but the result will be better than any one person or any one group could ever come up with. So, our Japanese American uh, collaborators and and supporters, you know, have shown us how this process can work in the It's not perfect, but there is nothing that is perfect in human existence. This is a way for America to have what I refer to as a naked lunch moment with our history, meaning that moment when everyone has to look at what's really on the end of their fork. And when people see that reality, the discussion about reparations becomes even more real. All right, any more thoughts on this?
3: Okay, so we have about 17 minutes left with this panel, and I'm going to go into uh, a question of, of contention. <laughs> so right now, as HR 40 is becoming more popular, more people are talking about it, another hot topic concerning HR 40 is the idea that it needs to be edited or scrapped, and we start over again, and there's been circulating these uh, these lists of Various sources and people. One, uh, so there's two. And uh, Mr. Robinson, you addressed one part of the edits earlier, but part of the proposed edits pushed forward are that um, our justice claim should be limited to 1776 instead of 1619, um, and that uh, there there needs to be uh, the creation of an eligibility identity standard to prove. African ancestry in America to be an eligible recipient of uh, reparations. What are your your thoughts on these? Do, does HR forty need edit,
0: or does HR forty need to be passed? Anyone?
3: Well,
0: I would, well, I would say uh, again, these ideas can certainly be presented to the commission for consideration. Um, but I think that there's there's a reason why uh, we have had organizations. Had recently are well-meaning folks, and maybe some who may not be so well-meaning, who are dropping in ideas that have largely been rejected in the past. For example, you know, many of us, and, and Sister Kichi referenced it, referenced it that the reparations movement largely came out of the nationalist pan-Africanist community. That does not mean we didn't have debates, we don't have differences, but there is a notion about pan-Africanism. There's a notion about the holistic um, uh, uh, no, na- nature of what, the, what enslavement meant. So some people are you know, trying to go to particular eras and particular periods. You know, A lot of people got dropped off in this country uh, during the course of the slave trade. I don't know how we sort of trace that back. What we do know is that if you are an African person in the Caribbean, for example, or in Central and South America, suffered some form of enslavement. Malcolm's folks, uh, Shirley Chisholm's folks, yes, Kamala Harris folks, suffered some form uh, of of enslavement. Uh, The other issue becomes, uh, when you come to this country even now, what we do know is that our communities are underdeveloped and that our communities are still being victimized by racially exclusionary policies now, like the war on drugs. Nobody asked Amadou Diallo whether or not he was Haitian, or, or I'm sorry, from, from Guinea, or, or whether he was from Haiti. You know, it's like Malcolm said, we all catch hell for the same reason. We all catch hell because we are black people. The other thing becomes, even if we could come up with some eligibility qualifications, are you telling me that we're going to actually try to get some tests out and test people's blood to try to find out which one of us is and which one of us ain't? I mean, to me, I'm sorry. I mean, we, we don't need to go down that path. Uh, we are all still in underdeveloped communities. There are ways in which as we break this out, you know, uh, Professor Ogletree was quoted today of saying, well, there are the least among us and, and people who may need more than others and so forth and so on. But we're certainly gonna, uh, I don't think, should do that on the basis of blood quantum, trying to figure out who is and who ain't uh, in relationship a person who actually was a, uh, a descendant of uh, of 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 American slavery. Uh, I, I have a fundamental uh, uh, objection to that. I think it's black nativist in some respects, and I also think it is obviously anti- an Africanism, and therefore cannot stand with that position. Mr.
2: Robinson, you have thoughts on this too? Well, I just you know, Cam Howard wrote a response to uh, the other issue about you know we can't start before seventeen. 76. And if you just for as an analogy, if you have three corporations that have been violating people's rights and making millions and millions of dollars on those violations, and a bigger corporation comes and buys all of them up, the bigger corporation can't say, Oh, well, that wasn't me. I wasn't doing that. That was those other people that were doing it. The argument makes no sense because when the colonies that became America were existing from 1619 to 1776, they were building huge amounts of wealth on the institution of slavery. And when they came together in the Constitutional Convention, they said to each other, the issue of slavery was right on the middle of the table. And James Madison, the father of the Constitution, the, the, the ones that people say, oh, he was so against slavery. One of the things he said to people is, don't worry about these enslaved people being free, because there is nothing in the Constitution that says that they will ever be free. So America came together, looked at exactly what the white supremacy and racism that was going on in the colonies was. They looked exactly at it. And they said, not only do we like it, We're doubling down on it. And so that's why America can't escape responsibility for what happened before 1776, because America took the benefits of chattel slavery from 1619 to 1776. If you take the benefits, then you've got to take the responsibility.
1: One American descendant of, of slavery. H.R. 40 has already been fixed. It's been fixed to go from a study bill to a remedy bill. We need to not fix it any further. It needs to be passed, past H.R. 40. And then we can come up with all of these other issues that are coming up in terms of um, identity and operationalizing and et cetera, et cetera. But let's pass the bill. we can
0: get around the necessary path of um of of putting it into reality sounds like a good hashtag pass
4: the bill (laughs) um i'd like to jump in just for a minute please um just want to echo everything that everyone has said about this topic but we do live Ideals and opportunities. And the one thing that can always happen is if you go to congress.gov and type in anything, you'll see that there are numerous bills on the same title, on the same uh, topic, about the same thing. So anytime there is legislation that does not meet with the criteria or the expectations of anyone, then there is that freedom to write your own legislation, find a bill sponsor, introduce it, and and, and go through the process of lobbying to get it passed. But to just um, pick something that's that's asinine and and to try and make a a, a big issue out of it, um, we don't have the time for that. We don't have the luxury. We don't have the time. And as we say in one of our campaigns we can no longer wait we have to pass HR 40 there will be opportunities for anyone who has input into the process to to present themselves and and, and to say whatever they need to say uh, either in favor of the bill or against the bill but um, again we live in a we live in a we live in a land of ideals, and that dictates that you can find someone to sponsor your your legislation and and move forward. Uh, We don't have to waste our time just belaboring uh, insignificant issues. Thank you.
2: And and could I just correct something that I said very quickly, because I think it's really important. When Kathy Masayoka testified today, she said that she, or what I said about her testimony, reparations. She was not against reparations. She was always for reparations. She was against the commission because she felt that they didn't need a commission to tell the truth about what everybody knew was the truth. And yet the commission was able, I think as the experience went on, as she testified, that commission played a role. So I just wanted to be clear that Our witness today was always for reparations for Japanese Americans. It was the commission that she had a problem with, and she came to believe that the commission ended up being a good idea.
0: I also just want to quickly, if I could, uh, because I see it popping up in the chat as well, address this issue of, I use the term, black nativism. And so I think we need to have an honest conversation about that as well. Nativism is a kind of national chauvinism and that kind of anti-integrationism that we see, you know, the MAGA people doing. I mean, that's Trump stuff, right? Uh, you know, make America great again and, you know, uh, scapegoating uh, immigrants and so forth, uh, which is in principle wrong. We are not to do that to any human beings. But in the African-American community, if we were to be truthful, there are some people who really are kind of resentful. I mean, there's too many Nigerians up in here. I mean, what, what, what are them Caribbeans coming here taking our jobs? So there's now this notion of having a distinct African, uh, 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 American-African identity to distinguish us from them. I've even heard this in conversation because they are taking our jobs. We need to have, when we talk about programs, these jobs are for the African-American identity folk and them Nigerians and the Ghanaians and the Jamaicans. You know they don't get that now come on we are not going at least from my perspective that's that's if we have issues in our communities i mean we have something called a pan-african Unity dialogue in, in new york where there are sometimes tensions and issues that we need to talk through but we will solve them as african people among ourselves we should not allow ourselves to be divided on the basis of we're going to say that our sisters and brothers you know, as African people, that we're going to exclude them or somehow uh, label them in such a way that they can't get certain benefits. So I think fundamentally I would appeal to my sisters and brothers to think about that. We have a bigger tent than that. I'm not saying they're not issues that we don't need to discuss and resolve, but we can resolve them. talking to each other and we certainly don't need to adopt some right wing and some there's some suspicion that some of this is coming and some people may unwittingly be buying into it from some right-wing sources who have this kind of conservative position and therefore they can recruit black people on the basis of grievance and resentment against our own brothers and sisters i hope we don't fall into that trap thank you dr
3: daniel um we have about five minutes left, so I'm going to go to uh, a question that was emailed to me earlier today. Um, are we to believe that uh, the majority Democratic U.S. House of Representatives are in favor of this bill, and what are the prospects uh, for this reparations bill being passed in the Senate? Anyone can start. Um sure
1: you Okay, so we have more co-sponsors than we've ever had in history. We have a a Senate bill introduction, which we have never had before Uh, in history. We are doing everything that we can to get as many co-sponsors and bring it further across to the uh, finish line, but we know how to count also, okay? And we know how to count, and we're pretty much certain that the bill will pass the House of Representatives. We know how to count. We know that in the Senate, even though we have a very, very slim majority that it takes more than that to withstand a, a filibuster. Again, we know how to count. So what does that mean? That means that we're not putting all of our eggs in one basket. If and when that time uh, comes, we're going to be making uh, a concerted effort to look at some of the other uh, baskets, such as the executive order branch uh, basket, but not do it in, in a manner that it's just unwieldy, but to take the exact same Commission, bill HR 40, S 40, and subsume it within uh, an executive order so that the, it can get passed and the commission can get to its work. Miss um, Kenneth Henry?
3: Um,
4: well, Mkichi has said it all, except I'm looking. We have 315 participants who are uh, on this um, live stream. And if all 315 participants, 316 participants, actually reached out to 10 or 20 of their best friends and asked them to call those congressional folks who have not come on board as co-sponsors on both the House side and the Senate side, do you know just how far along we would be as far as getting this bill across the finish line so it, it, it's a good question but the question has to be flipped and we turn it around and to you we say <coughs> to all 316 people on this call um, a, a totally awesome thing that you can do is uh, reach out to those uh, Congress folks who have not come on board as co-sponsors Get your best 10, 15, 20 friends to help you out and make the calls. Thank you.
2: Mr. Robinson? You know, there's just, I think a lot and and Kenneth have said is just really important. And the one thing that I'd like to say to, to have, at least have folks think about in terms of perspective people, and Dr. Daniels addressed this some, people are thinking about, well, how long do you have to, did you have to be here? How long did your ancestors have to be here before you would be, quote unquote, eligible for some kind of reparations? And I think one of the things underlying that question is a view that somehow the things for which reparations are necessary stopped at some point. They're going on right now. So if you came here 15 years ago, your ability to get a house as a black person, your ability to get an education, your ability to get a job, your ability to get health care has been impacted by what America has become since 1865. Let's remember That for 95 years after the Civil War, it was illegal for black kids to walk into the same classroom as white children and sit down and learn something in school. So I think it's important to understand that the issues we are talking about in terms of reparations are still happening today. And and at least take that into account as, as people are thinking about
0: Comments? Dr. Dane? Yeah, I just, I know we have to try and move into the next uh, powerful segment. I just think it's important to give a shout out to the visionary, courageous leadership of uh, Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee. Uh, She has been absolutely incredible. I mean, she's taken this on as a legacy issue. Uh, I was so honored and so proud to hear people, more than one person, evoke the name of Congressman John Conyers today, including. Uh, the Congressman Cohen from, uh, from Memphis who said he was my mentor and so people take a certain pride in, in taking this torch but Cedar, Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee has been absolutely focused focused on this as a legacy uh, for not only Congressman John Cotters but for her legacy and she has been relentless and so I think we owe her a, uh, a, a big kudos and, and debt of gratitude and it's not over it's not over. We're going to have to stand with her, surround her, because this battle has really just begun. Getting the commission doesn't mean it's over. We really then have to ramp up to make sure that it does not then become diluted, co-opted, and so forth. So we're going to need a movement stronger than ever before. And, so I, and again, I, I really appreciate the collaboration that we have with the HR 40 strategy group and all the people working together. But a big kudos to Congresswoman Sheila Jackson please.
3: Thank you so much to all of you. We're going to have to move on to the second panel. Are there any final thoughts? I'll just
1: say reparations is an issue whose time has come. Reparations
3: now. That's right. Well, thank you so much to all of our panelists and panel one, Attorney Nikichi Taifa, Dr. Ron Daniels, Jeffrey Robinson, and Ms. Kenneth Henry. Now we are going to our second panel, which will be hosted by Reverend Mark Thompson. Um, Reverend Thompson is the host of Make It Plain, a member of Encobra, the National African American Reparations Commission, and the Black Church Pact. Thank you so much and look forward to this panel.
5: Thank you, uh, Sister Jam. We appreciate you. And let me commend all of the panelists who just spoke uh this that was truly a uh um, a, a reparations uh dream team uh and so we're going to uh, uh continue uh in um, uh in that vein uh and bring forward now um, some of our other uh panelists uh in this uh and who some of whom at least two of whom were a part of the actual um hearing that took place today so let me do um, some introductions i'm going to introduce all four of the panelists and then we'll hear from from each one. First of all he is the uh male co-chair the male national co-chair of encobra uh our dear brother uh cam howard who testified today welcome to cam howard uh we're glad encobra's in the house Um, And um, then we also have with us, uh, from Howard University, um, our brother who has brought a great intellectual discourse to this discussion, Dr. Greg Kamathi Carr, we welcome him from Howard University. Thank you, Dr. Carr. Um, Then we also have with us, uh, representing uh, Evanston, Illinois, and the City Council Subcommittee, And this has become the model for what cities and states are doing with regards to reparations. Alderman Robin Sue Simmons uh, is here with us. Robin Rue Simmons, I'm sorry. Uh, Alderman, good to see you again as well. And last but not least, the the newest star in this reparations movement. She spoke uh, on today uh, at the hearing, and we're so proud of her. She's brought an international flavor to this representing Human Rights Watch. And as I said, she's the newest star in the reparations galaxy. We started calling her today the Beyonce of reparations. So we're happy to have with us our sister, Dreesen Heath from Human Rights Watch. Uh, good evening and, and welcome to um, you all. Uh, Dreesen, let's begin with you. Uh, ladies first, um, how did you feel about the, the hearing today? And do you feel that it was effective and that it is going to make a difference in, in winning um, once this bill is brought to the floor.
6: Thank you, Reverend Mark, and I appreciate uh, the wonderful introduction, um, but also to be in company again um, with such incredible folks um, and looking forward to this conversation. I think having the hearing um, so early on in the 117th Congress is extremely important and marks. Um, not only um, you know, commitments hopefully by uh, Congress and by the committee to move this bill forward, but also marks the incredibly hard work <laughs> that people have been putting in for decades. And then most recently, um, in terms of garnering the most co-sponsors that we've ever uh, experienced under HR 40, that momentum clearly sh- is showing through and um, Congress can't hide from that anymore. So, you know, I'm really hoping that this hearing, um, you know, it, it, it was um, successful in um, putting the issue back out in front of the public. Um, obviously, we've heard, we heard powerful testimony. We heard a breadth and depth, depth of information of uh, the harms, the range of harms and why reparation is necessary, why reparation is not a, a replacement for public policy why uh, reparation must uh, be administered in all necessary forms. Um, But we also heard some arguments um, that have been, you know, tired and holistically wrong um, and uh, needing to to, uh, move past these arguments that are um, wrongfully, Misunderstanding what the right to reparation and remedy is as defined in international human rights law and why um, we are still suffering from generations of trauma and injury um, that in the form of uh, current um, racial discrimination, but also enduring systemic racism. So um, I think it's an, an opportunity to build off of top off top of um what scholarship and arguments were presented uh, to have uh, the Honorable Shirley, um, Shirley Weber to be a part of that panel was important as well. California just went on and said, we're gonna set, set up our own state HR 40 commission. Um, the federal government should be ashamed that um, a state um, went ahead and advanced uh, a commission modeled off of HR 40 before HR 40 was established. So. Um it's, it's time, and uh, I think this hearing um, lets people know that we're, we're, we're moving forward on this.
5: Thank you, uh, Dreeson. Cam Howard, how do you feel about the hearing, and, and do you feel that it, it, is, it will make a difference uh, in this fight? Do you feel that the members of Congress uh, heard you? Just how impactful do you think it was? And also, please explain. Uh, why uh, Herschel Walker is such an awkward time. Please go right ahead. (laughs) Well, let me start there. You know, I think uh,
7: the 30 or so percent of black folks who were not in favor of reparations, I think Herschel Walker and and, uh, Elder did such a bad job, or great job if you want to put it, that they switched over to our side. So we want to thank those (laughs) two (laughs) (laughs) politicians. So, uh, but the the, the, uh, hearing was a success. What we wanted to do, uh, Reverend Mark, was to come out in this Congress, early in this Congress, pushing forth to the leadership, to the 535 congresspersons in the House and the Senate collectively, letting them know this issue must be dealt with early on in this congressional session. And to get a hearing of this magnitude in the month of February, in the first year of the Congress, is very important. It's huge. We laid it out that the legislation is we are not accepting anything less than four reparations. I think that was repeated over and over in the, in the conversation. Uh, we got a tremendous amount of uh, solidarity from the Japanese Americans. I mean, it was just a, it was an awesome, successful event. Because what we've always known was that this hearing was not the end-all, be-all. This hearing was to position us to move this legislation through the legislative process, and so we're at the next step. You have to take these through stages, through steps, in order to get to the House floor for a vote, in order to get to the Senate floor for a vote, and this was a necessary step. Uh, we got the type of uh, testimony from treason and everyone who's on the panel uh, on, the, on the Democratic side to put it out there in no uncertain terms that this community must be and so that's all we really wanted to do is make it clear to Congress that there was a tremendous amount of uh, support uh, both within our community and in the allied community for this legislation. You have the leadership of the of the of the Judiciary Committee, uh, Chairman Nadler in favor; the uh, Chairman corn the chairman of the subcommittee, in favor. They have already with the leaders of the Democratic Party, Pelosi and Hoyer, they are in favor. So we have, we have strategically moved this legislation to a point for us to go to the next step, which is a, a, a vote in the judiciary, and then to the full House for the vote.
5: Great. Um, Alderman Robin Ruth Simmons, how did, does the national debate on the bill, the legislation, H.R. 40, and what happened today even? support um, some of the local initiatives like the one you're involved in uh, and also I think we do well for those who don't have a full grasp of what you were doing in Evanston when it comes to reparations to explain um, what that local initiative is all about if you would please you, you, we can't hear you uh, all Like you're unmuted too All right. maybe no.
8: the settings maybe check your computer settings
5: yeah check check your audio settings there might be Open. now here we go yep. there we go okay we got you now all right
3: i had a uh, cam howard moment i guess <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> okay um the question was uh what are we doing in evanston and how does the national discussion uh play into what we're doing what we've done in evanston is like uh, Dr. Weber said we decided to advance reparative justice in the form of reparations for Blacks in Evanston, and not wait on uh, HR40. We did it appropriate and in line with the injury that is documented and able to be defended in our city, and that's largely found in the area of housing, um, our zoning, and other uh, wealth um, stripping actions and policies that are in our city. So we have advanced a policy that funds uh, reparations for blacks in Evanston. It's an initial $10 million commitment. We are using the um, cannabis sales tax 100%. The first $10 million, 100% um, of that tax is going to fund our work. In addition, the fund is open and receiving contributions from residents in town, families, and even businesses now have joined in our reparation uh, commitment in Evanston. So we have strong ally support. Uh, We was really happy to see the testimony uh, from the Japanese community today, speaking with them this weekend and really proud of the solidarity that we share there. Um, The faith community has made a commitment to reparations in contributing in in dollars and also in uh, learning and educating their congregations and learning more on how um, they can support the goals. So we have advanced reparations. We have our first remedy policy has passed our committee, which is a $25,000 direct benefit, up to $50,000 per household direct benefit for residents, for housing. Um, and we understand that there are interests in other policies. in. We do understand this is a process. This is legacy work. This is—I have a lifetime of work ahead of me. I'm clear of that. My children have a lifetime of work ahead of them. Um, but we have started, and we have committed the first um, four hundred thousand. Understanding that more remedy policies need to come, more understanding. Uh, we have had a very thorough uh, report that's now about hundred pages, done by Shorefront Legacy and Dino Robinson, who is the founder there that gives our case for local reparations. And we are proud of the work, you can learn more about it at the City of Evanston uh, website, cityofevanston.org. Evanston.org. But it's important that the national conversation is advancing because it helps me um, help our community look to, we alone as a municipality are not responsible for the injury. Local efforts are not going to address full repair in this nation. It is going to take a, collect, a collective, a collaborative effort from every level of government, including the states. And obviously, H.R. 40 is the uh, keystone to repair in the black community in this nation. So for us in Evanston, it is nice to see that the conversation is advancing. I believe that it was effective because, as Brother Cam said, it happened very early um, in this Congress. And it starts the legislative process. It is necessary to get to whatever that next marker is so that it can advance through a legislative process. I believe that it was effective. I believe especially since we have a President Biden who campaigned on his his rapport and commitment to the black community. And we have a vice president who was original co-sponsor for the first Senate companion bill that now are leaders in this nation. So it gave notice to Congress, and it allowed us to, um, to start to advance the process.
5: All right. Thank you very much, Alderman. Uh, Dr. Rick Carr, good to see you again, as always, my brother. How do you feel about the hearing and the message it got over to um, our our people? Um, do you think that today's hearing helped further to inform our people about uh, the of HR 40 and do you think it also is helpful um, in in continuing a rational conversation? We know that there's a, we even seen it in some of the chat, I mean, here tonight, um, and it was talked about in the last panel, there's a a lot of other things going on when it comes to this debate uh, to really divide and distract our people, some some other players in this. Um, um, How do you about this hearing today and what impact it will have on unifying our people. Well, first of all, thank you, uh, dear brother
8: Matsumila. Um, like me, you know, our generation came into this work uh, I guess it's been now over three decades ago and in, in, in with the Nkiji Taifas and Cam Howards and Mashariki and Jumbao Kawanzas and so many Conrad Wells and others and we kind of got deputized so it's something to sit here with this gray hair and say <laughs> we're now looking at this revival of the movement, this extension. It's very important. I want to thank as well, Cam and Andreessen, especially uh, for the work you did on the Hill today, virtually. Um, I think it was an important conversation, of course, and maybe the most important conversation that this country has ever had. Um, Cam, something you said earlier and during the uh, the testimony today, talking about federal, state, local government, And uh, Alderman Simmons, you definitely have showed that model. And we saw a former colleague in Black Studies, uh, Shirley Weber, who's setting the world on fire out there in California. Uh, No pun intended. Definitely no pun intended, especially with this weather event going on right now. I hope everybody's trying to stay safe and warm in Texas and Louisiana and other places. But, you know, we have local and state government doing this. But, Ken, when you said federal, state, local government, and then you named corporations and other institutions like universities, we're talking about a structure. In world history, that's very recent. All those institutions come out of the West, the concept of the nation-state, so forth. Um, every country on this side of the ball is a separate state, including this one. And, and this one's going to disintegrate fairly soon. I think HR-40 is really a piece of legislation that's about, it's really, really will study the possibility of America. HR-40 is also a barometer on how close we are to an event horizon. The reason you can get it going in an Evansville, I think, the reason you can get it going in a California is because demographics have shifted. And as the demographics shift, the possibilities begin to present themselves. But the possibilities really aren't about national unity or uh, achieving some sense of a nation, because this isn't a nation. It is a state with a number of different nations in it. Think about John Henry Clark saying that many times, our, our elder, our Jegna. And what we saw today was, the beginning, as Ron Daniels said, another long-distance runner, of the be- the beginning of the debate. will be very interesting once this commission is passed, and of course we know it's going to pass the House. I agree with Nkechi. Um Joe Manchin going to act a fool. Kristen Sinema going to act a fool out of Arizona. So you got to push them and drag them over the finish line. And then somehow, as Abraham Lincoln, as Jerome Bennett Jr. said, his hand was shaking when he signed the Emancipation. A proclamation well perhaps Joe Biden's hand will be shaking when he signs. He doesn't seem to want to forgive any student debt, which is entirely in his power to do with the struggle with paying. We'll talk about that a little bit later, perhaps in the context of reparations, but once this gets over, the next stage will be the debate and the conversation in the commission itself. Imagine those hearings all over this country. I think that's when a lot of stuff gets settled. And having read Sandy darity's book a couple of times some very interesting and important work in there, but this is not the time now for folks to parachute in out of left field and try to rewrite policy at the level of insertion that the black bourgeois have often done. This is the commission where we finally have the conversation about the possibility of America. When we look at those five injury areas, the first of them is peoplehood nationhood, and I think that's where the problem starts. When you start talking about self-determination, Dr. Daniels again was right. We're talking about pan-Africanism, nationalism, propelling this. You're talking about making a moral demand in a system of nation states that has this doesn't have morality at its center. This is moribund. It's a rhetorical ethics. They don't owe us anything. You, you only oh, April Randolph talks about that. You get what you can take and keep. There is no moral argument for reparations in the modern nation state system. It's about who has the power, whether it be the, and in this country, it's the Democrats or the Republicans. Both of these parties are hostage to finance capital, one of those institution networks that the can is talking about. But in order for them to maintain the ability to make policy and service of finance capital, they have to attract voters. The GOP has doubled, quadrupled down. They are now the party of white nationalism. They are the white nationalist party. The Democrats can't win without that demographic. And as that demographic shifts, the policy concessions they will make in order to sustain themselves in power could very well include an opening up of the economy. This is what H.R. 40 is 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 beginning to insert itself into. But that first injury area, and we'll talk more about this. I'm going to stop after I say this. This first injury area, speaking to the trauma, I mean, we're going to get to the second one, education. The third one, health. The fourth one, criminal punishment. The fourth one, wealth and poverty. The first one, peoplehood, nationhood. That places a knife's edge on the question of what does it mean to be an American. And so when I see Herschel Walker, when I hear uh, the brother out of Utah whose daddy was on the faculty of Florida and for 40 years, when I see, you know, Larry Elder, who with the death of Rush Limbaugh, maybe they'll give him 15 more dollars so he can keep talking with that slant mouth and that slack jaw look in his eye, I'm looking at victims of trauma. <laughs> you understand? They are victims of – Herschel Walker said, how you going to pay some – my mom said, how can you pay somebody for somebody who was lynched That your uncle who was hung, Right. He's making the same argument. But the problem with trauma is that is a question of self-repair. And part of that self-repair requires a demand of self that can't be made of another person, particularly when whiteness is the thing that unifies the concept of the American nation state. They don't owe me how I view myself. So I think this HR forty legislation is really about the possibility of America, and whether or not we're at, events at an event horizon to renegotiate the terms of this nation-state, or whether it's going to dissolve and we'll do it from the state and local level.
5: Powerful points. Yeah, the, the, the testimony of the, of the of the Uncle Toms is pretty much um, emblematic of why we need reparations. The severe. Uh, long-term, transgenerational, post-traumatic slave syndrome exposure. That, that, is, that speaks to it. Uh, a, a lot to cover. I'm going to come back to you, Dr. Carr, um, on a few things. Uh, but I want to go back to uh, um, uh, Reparations Beyonce for a moment or two. Driesen, um what is next? We've had this hearing. So what is now the immediate follow-up? What are the action things that people need to be about right now?
6: Yeah, thank you for that question um, because we're we're in forward progress and we need to stay in forward progress, um, and that means getting uh, the the last uh, you know Democratic for uh, Judiciary Committee members co-sponsoring the bill. Um, ideally, we would have uh, as many co-sponsors as possible within the Judiciary Committee. We know that we have enough votes to pass. But you want to shore that up. So you have, you know, Representative Deborah Ross in North Carolina today who spoke to the, um, you know, North Carolina compensating victims of forced sterilization, forcing disabled and black people into a eugenics program. She should be on that bill. Um, Representative Lucy McBath, um, the anniversary of her son's death, uh, shooting, killing, and just for loud music in a parking lot uh, was just the other day that pain um you know pain of um unarmed black young black men being killed um is a part of the the remedy of, H- of hr 40 and what proposals would speak to um she needs to be on the bill representative uh greg stanton in arizona he has expressed that he would vote yes um on the bill he also you know co-sponsors a uh more symbolic measure um, that is not going to give us any repairs, such as uh, exchanging our current national anthem with the black national anthem. He needs to be on the bill. Um, And Representative Lewis Correa in uh, California, he needs to be on the bill. So these are four (laughs) key names that you all today can start um, calling people, you know, put that on your to-do list tomorrow and through the week. You can call the Capitol switchboard, 202. um three one two one and get connected to these um offices to get them on the bill um we also have to continue to 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 educate this is a public education campaign in addition to um you know reversing all of the harmful um and damaging language such as some of the comments made today um you know belittling the trauma and the um uh impacts of of racism on the black community today um, these issues are real um, people are dying because of it um, we saw that harvard medical uh, research study re- referenced today if reparations for slavery were administered that curbs deaths and infections for black community but more broadly we, we are over 500,000 deaths in the united states where people are just dying left and right. There's no um, there's no excuse for um, remedy not to be administered so that the next time, the next generation, the next century that we may have a pandemic like that, that the same disease doesn't disproportionately impact um, black people um, as it is today. Um, so in addition to responding to some of the um the comments made in the hearing today, um, people need to actively push back and be on the offensive of what reparation means. Um, you heard today from many of our uh, witnesses that there are many forms of reparation. The next time somebody tells you, you know, it's just about compensation, you you have the um, ability and authority now to say it actually includes compensation, rehabilitation, guarantees and non repetition making sure we're transforming institutions that have never functioned to serve or protect black people like the criminal legal system and the policing system um, also you know needing a um, apology on the books the, the house and the Senate did pass um, uh, apology resolutions and they were insufficient but they were also not signed into law so in terms of the federal government actually <laughs> being able to we apologize for the wrongdoing of uh, the institution and Jim Crow segregation, that has not happened yet. Um, we need to be able to um, put markers and know where um, communities have been redlined, where hundreds of thousands of black families have been displaced. Um, all of these measures uh, encompass what what is needed, healthcare-specific reparations, education-specific uh, specific, uh Reparations, um, not not um, equity policy, but but reparations that get to specific harms um, that have been inflicted on the Black community today. Um, so I would say education and also mobilizing to get these members on the uh, Judiciary Committee ready to vote, because we will be demanding a vote um, very soon, and there's no <laughs> there's no excuse after this hearing. Uh,
5: for that vote not to be set up. All right. Thank you, Dreeson Hes. Uh, Cam, talk a little bit about that. Uh, I'm going to throw this to you. Talk about what, well, how this commission is going to deal with reparations proposals. Uh, um, some people seem to think that now is the time to debate proposals. Uh, and I've got this one proposal. This has to be the one. Explain why that's premature and why it really was in the spirit of Ujima, Ujima and Ujima that we would argue for a commission so there could be collective thought and discussion, even public hearings, because that's what this commission will be empowered to do, right, Cam? They'll be able to even hold public hearings on reparations proposals and also address why um, uh, individual versus uh, collective reparations is, is, a, is a both and as opposed to an either or. Muticam.
7: Thanks, Brother Massamella. You know, that's very important. You know, the Commission is designed, uh, as Teresa said, with these particular outcomes in mind. These are the outcomes, this is the level of proposals that the Commission is supposed to generate. One of the things that NARC introduced was the NARC 10 Point Reparations Platform that they went around the country, or we went around the country, trying to get buy in from our first. Uh, informing our people that this commission had been formed and that these were some of the possibilities that we could propose and to just get from our community a, a, a understanding and input on what they would like to see the commission work do. The commission is designed to create a mechanism by which proposals can come through and then those proposals will be then packaged in a document, and deliver to Congress for funding. And so, really, the proposals, the development of the proposals is something that the community do collectively. It's not one individual. It's not one organization. It's a collective process where we get buy-in from across the country. To, as you stated, uh, Mullen, the community, is suppo- the commission is supposed to have uh, local forums, national forums around the country. And it would debate those particular proposals. And Cobra stated, uh, initiated about two years ago, we didn't follow through because we focused more so on getting the bill passed, on putting out a call to various organizations to determine what type of repair was necessary, put a plan together, if it was an education, if it was an economic development, and these would be some of the basic things, basis of which the commissioner's work would, would be formed. What we would like to see the Commission do is immediately separate themselves into these five areas of entry, five areas of uh, reparations. There'll be a subcommittee on cessation and guarantees and non repetition, a subcommittee on satisfaction, a subcommittee sub- uh, on compensation, a subcommittee on, re- on satisfaction, and a subcommittee on restitution within the Commission. And each one of those subcommittees flesh out a number of proposals to meet the outcomes of repair that we need, the holistic repair that we need. Now, in the context of this conversation around direct repair or collective repair, there's going to be two forms of repair. Repair that is collective, no one has to qualify for You just simply have to be of African descent, and it's repair. For instance, any type of criminal justice reform is going to affect all African that's a collective benefit. When it comes to a, a direct benefit in the form of an education grant, you may have to qualify. In the form of compensation, you may have to qualify. That's a direct benefit, but for the majority of the initiatives needed to bring wholeness to our community are of the collective type. Therefore, there's no reason to have all of this conversation and debate about who gets what. It only that that conversation is only if there's compensation, and if there's compensation, and we we have always been in favor of compensation, but we have not pushed compensation out there in the in the mainstream because we know we, that's the area where we would get the most opposition. And so, why would we push something that we know is going to get the most opposition, and we know we need our allied support to pass it? So we don't highlight that. We say that it is necessary. Say that we want it. Say that we are fight for it, but we do not put it out there as the top issue that we're fighting for, because the top issue is repair and holding. And so, uh, under under direct benefits, only in the area of compensation, we say that there are three periods of harms, because people want to say you want to put Caribbeans in there, you want Caribbeans, you want Africans who just came here to get to get uh, reparations. Yeah, they should be repaired. If they was injured by this country. Anyone who's injured by this country should be repaired by this country. So we have three areas of injury. The first, the president during the campaign supported the uh, study for the committee to study reparations. There's a House
8: Judiciary Committee hearing today. Um, does the president support the legislation? He stopped short of saying that during the campaign. Would he sign that if it came to his desk?
6: he's supported a study of reparations, which I believe is what's being discussed, and studying the continuing impacts of slavery, which is being discussed in this uh, hearing on H.R. 40, I believe it is, uh, and he continues to, to take comprehensive action to address the systemic racism that persists today. Obviously, that is uh, having that study is a part of that, but he has signed an executive order on his first day uh, which would begin to deliver on his commitment to having an uh, all-cross-government uh, approach to addressing uh, racial inequality and uh, in, uh, making sure equity is a part of his entire policy agenda. But he certainly would support a study of reparations. Uh, and we understand, uh, understands that we don't need a study to take action right now in systemic racism, so he wants to uh, take actions within his own government in the meantime. Uh,
5: Driesen, uh, your response uh, to that statement? From-
6: Thank you. I hadn't heard that yet. Um, Yeah, equity does not equal justice. Again, equity does not equal justice. And um, unfortunately, you know, some of the framing around these measures to do this kind of all out uh, look into, you know, our federal agencies, um, you know, I did not see a plan to, um interrogate the origins of the federal housing administration which was built on restrictive racial covenants into the writing the underwriting manual um that determined whether or not black people were going to get loans or not um you know that would be um uprooting and addressing systemic racism not necessarily um Establishing more representation within that department, or more diverse representation of folks, um, adding more um, diverse and color to an institutionalized problem does not solve the institutionalized problem. Right? Systemic um, problems deserve systemic solutions, um, and unfortunately, you know, a, a lot of this is wordsmithing and um, promises and. We, we've always been the bargaining chip um, since enslavement and, and today. So this whole idea that, um, you know, the, the Black electorate is going to rise up and, um, you know, combat uh, forms of violence and, and show up into an election um, and, you know, vote towards human rights. Um, and then in turn, um, we're going to hear words like, means nothing, because if you're not talking about repair, we're we're never getting to to that ending. Um, We can never solve um, the the viciousness of white supremacist violence if we have not properly documented or accounted for the racial terror that has wreaked this country for centuries. Um, There's still people today, the only race massacre to be um, actually compensated for was the Rose race massacre in Florida. Two years, 1923, two years after um, the 1921 race massacre. Um, The only massacre, there were hundreds of massacres. There were thousands of lynchings. There were other um, forms of incidents of racial violence that have never been accounted for. And people don't even know they exist. Um, They're not in our education um, resources. But they're also not talked about in public discourse because part of the drama of of being able to um, process what has actually happened is that, um, you know, communities that have been affected can't even talk about the harm. And so then you get this revisionist history by the government um, that says, yeah, we we help those people. In the case of Tulsa, they blocked the rebuilding efforts. They say, we're gonna promise you full restitution and reparation right after the massacre happened. And instead they side with real estate developers to try to mow down Greenwood um, and make it an industrial site, trying to um, build a a railroad railroad court. That that wasn't successful then, but today (laughs) you see gentrification driving out um, black Tulsans into north parts of Tulsa that are relegated to poverty, relegated to disinvestment in resources and education, health care, access to employment, um, uh, you know, deprivation of small businesses and and economic development that was the heart of of the Greenwood neighborhood. So, you know, I implore this administration to really interrogate Um, and and perhaps get some better advisement uh, within their cabinet um, to actually address um, these issues holistically. We're not talking about policy determining our future outcomes. We're talking about the remedy, the reparation that's necessary for the past and ongoing harms. because reparation is about contemporary harms, too. It's not just about, you know, the instant. also about the policies that just, um, you know, 50 years ago were instituted and are impacting um, black people's access to capital and other uh, key resources.
5: Idris, while I have you, since you're part of an international organization, Human Rights Watch, do we have indications that the international community would be with us in this fight, uh, even if it met at some point, if this bill can't get passed or Biden won't sign it, Whatever that the international community might be open to to being organized on our behalf and in our defense, in the way the international community was organized against apartheid South Africa, is that you think that could be an option?
6: I think that's absolutely a possibility. And you've seen bodies take positions that they haven't historically taken in in the wake of um, the summer and fall protests uh, against um, police violence and racial injustice. You've also seen um, the UN working group of people of African descent in 2016 put out a comprehensive um, recommendation which included the passage of HR 40. You have um, you know, our special repertoire, uh, uh, Professor Achuame, who spoke today so eloquently in the panel. Um, her 2019 report outlines um, what is necessary for um, rectifying the, the vestiges structures of colonialism and uh, enslavement themselves, but also the ongoing entrenched racial discrimination. Um, you've also seen other bodies engage on this issue. Human Rights Watch has has um, gone to, um, you know, through the U- universal periodic review with the United Nations, we have brought the issue of reparations in addition to other national organizations who, who um, mark that as something that countries need to flag for the United States to rectify. So I think we're moving towards that. We need some more groundswell support, Um, but I think it's an opportunity, and some bodies have taken steps to properly acknowledge what needs to be done.
5: I'm I'm, I'm putting that in the atmosphere, y'all, because that's that's an anti-apartheid. Notice. They're consistent in there, which shows everybody they've all met on this because everybody says the same thing. So it's not, they can't ignore it. So they think, well, how are we going to deal with this? And to me, Cam, it's kind of, I don't know what it is, it's kind of arrogant to say we ain't going to wait on no study. I mean, <laughs> the, the, the study is supposed to be about us being self determining having a self-determining dialogue with ourselves about what our reparations ought to be. It's not the post supposed to be about the white president saying, I ain't gonna wait on that, I'm just gonna do what I wanna do when it comes to equity and not even reparations. What's your reaction to that, Cam? You're muted, brother. There you go. So you're absolutely right.
7: You know, the commission is about our community determining what our repair—that's what reparations is. The guilty Party does not tell the injured how they're going to be repaired. Hello. So you know this. Joe Biden has this, you know, this white supremacist attitude, and he's going to take that attitude. It's not no different than any other, you know, white nationalist attitude and, and uh, position. Uh, I think someone mentioned earlier about this, the difference between this equity piece, this equity council. We, we, we applaud the equity council because the equity council fits into the area of cessation and of non-repetition. So the equity council would guarantee non-repetition. However, it does nothing for the accumulated harm and injury that took place before the equity council was put in place. It's like you you have a, a football game, and for three quarters, one team is cheating and collusion with the with the referee. And then five minutes in the last quarter, they said, we're not we're going to play fair. We're not going to call bogus calls. You get the same amount of time to call your calls. You get 11 men. I know you've been playing with nine men before, but you get 11 men now to play on offense and defense. And then you say, okay, let's start from there. But they already got a 77-point lead, and you're at zero. And so we're going to play fair from this point on. But – so the season is almost over and there's no way i can to get to a championship there's no way i can even play in the championship i can't even make the play i can't even get a wild card because of the advancement in this particular uh area of cheating uh the, 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 the um the lead is, is giving you so i'm locked out and so that's what this equity commission does It's call for a part of reparation seeing that it's, it is to guarantees that guarantee that not continue in the past, however, it has to be the repair of the initiative also. So the Biden administration, first of all, you know, she doesn't even know what the bill number is, which is kind of crazy, you know, if if this has been something that's been pushed out for, you know, his entire campaign, so everyone in the campaign, everyone in this office should know that this is a bill and the the bill number and what it's it's desired to do. So that's kind of telling in and of itself. They're going to have to, the Biden administration is going to have to deal with H.R. 40. Uh, we're pushing this through Congress, but as has been stated earlier, we know that the challenges we're going to meet at the center side, and we're going to have to pivot at some point directly to Biden, and, and they're going to have to meet this front and center, and as Dr. Carr said, it has to be in direct, uh, a, a direct uh, similarity as the H.R. 40 congressional bill. But, you know, the Biden administration is going to have to deal with this, point center, point blank. There's no getting around this issue. There
5: wouldn't, wouldn't be no Biden administration if it weren't for black folks.
7: And we tried to say that, you know, we saved this country in putting the Democratic Party in. It That's was right. clear that if Trump had got back in, you would have had the shadow government no longer being the shadow government. The Klan was established to be a shadow government. And they were in the government in a shadow form throughout the Jim Crow period. They ran the government in the South. And that was going to be put back in play if Trump had won again. And so we, black folks, saved this country from that type of violence that would be re- perpetuated and this dist- and the clear quick destruction of this country. In the conclusion of the Civil War, the, the Republican Party passed massive legislation on behalf of Black people. Dr. Claude Adams said se- it was the second Constitution that was for Black people—the 13th, 14th, and 15th amendment 1867 Civil Rights Law, strong Civil Rights Law, stronger than the 1965 Civil Rights Law. We have to say we did for you, Biden, in the Democratic Party the same thing I asked us to do for the Republican Party in this nation. 1865, and we want the same type of reward. But that's on us. That's on us. And we have to make that fight. But we, we have to be clear and understanding what we've actually delivered to this segment of the white ruling class called the Democrats, and what they owe us as a result of delivering the ability to rob the rest of the
3: world. Because <laughs> that's really what it is. You know, they have an the ability to get rich off
7: of, of discrimination and Violence and colonialism, neo-colonialism, et cetera, and so that's really what we've handed them. But we have to get something in return, and we have to be clear that it's not just
5: some equity council or anything of that nature. Um, it, 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 very, very well said, Brother Cam. Let me. There's a lot of, of stuff in the chat. Um, I want to shout out one person, a, a dear sister, who's also been in struggle. We haven't talked in a long time, sister. So, as you were talking about that, we were talking about reacting to the Biden. Piece. Uh, sister Fia Nwangaza is in there in the chat. Peace to you, sister. She writes, Biden is disrespecting our right of self-determination, cornerstone of reparations. Uh, international community already established. UN World Conference Against Racism Durban 400 work. Recent UN reports including African descendants, working group political prisoners covering under treaty review. And this is, I think we're still in the decade of people of African descent. So all of this is very important. Um, those who are trolling the hell out of us constantly on hr 40 alderman simmons you know if you don't agree with hr 40 or you're not happy with it even though there's no reason not to be it's not like see even even the biden administration i'll be like you know what they could just try to pass a bill that says give us 300 trillion dollars we didn't do that we said let's do a commission and see what forms reparations can take they seem like they would just get on that and stop complaining but it's even for those of us who look like us or pretend to look like us, who have a problem with this, Alderman Simmons, in the meantime, they could be doing something in their own locale as what has happened in Evanston, as what has happened in California. So everybody, you know, upset about H.R. 40, those of you who are and don't quite understand it? In the meantime, you can get off your rusty dust and do something in your own locale. Um, uh, Alderman Simmons, uh, give people advice on that. How would you encourage someone watching uh, who Thank would want to go to their locale, their city or state, say, hey, let's do reparations right here where we are.
3: Thank you. And that, that's how we got there in Evanston. Like the front line is where you are, right? And so mobilize in your own city. Work with your elected in your neighborhood. Get a grassroots movement and come up with a coherent, viable, at least outline, and then share it with the uh, policymaker in your city In advance, something local, the model has been um, introduced in Evanston and many other cities now, including Amherst. I see that there's someone from Amherst on the call as well. Um, Please do. Let's not uh, be paralyzed in perfecting the idea of HR 40. Let's be in solidarity on HR 40. And the work happens in the commission. We all agree that repair is justice, is due, is overdue. We are all operating in the urgency of now. But let's not delay uh, its passing by, um, you know, infighting in our community. So uh, work on a grassroots level. And one thing that I I have to say before this is over is without the support and the mentorship, really, of uh, the NARC commissioners, all of them, and COBRA, uh, reaching out and helping us um, understand the 10-point plan, what reparations is, how it's different than. Uh, ordinary public policy and understanding who should be weighing in on uh, reparations and even coming out to support our city physically with town hall meetings and other, um, other educational panels and symposiums. Um, just start the work. Reach out to your elected. Your elected can take it there. Once you say reparations is a commitment in your city, you will be surprised. We've had law firms and law departments at universities and independent, you know, found family foundations and major institutions and international institutions that have reached out to help our city. And I believe that that would apply to other cities in this nation. So don't, don't get yourself so frustrated on this one. There's no one leader. There's no one policy. There's no one initiative. It's going to take uh, years, generations multi-levels of policy to get to
5: justice for the black community, and just start where you're at. And and Dr. Carr, as, as you'll get the last response to close us out uh, tonight, um, we're a few minutes over. Um, this is uh, our, the month where we celebrate our history. And and for those who are impatient, should they not heed the words of Frederick Douglass, the price of freedom is eternal vigilance. Does everybody know what that word means? Internal. there were sisters and brothers who fought against slavery, who were born in bondage and died in bondage and they didn't give up they didn't say this is taking too long it is, they fought for the next generation to have a leg upon which to stand, so it's important isn't it, as, as we segregate from, from Alderman Simmons you know, that, that this may take a little more time, this is a process but if our ancestors could have endured enslavement for all those centuries fighting in each and every generation to bring it to an end to save america through the end of slavery and then once again save america through this last election as it always does um shouldn't we take a page from those ancestors from our history dr carr and be resolved to fight through to the finish to make this happen
8: absolutely um Reparations, I think about all the times we gathered in Washington, I think about Conrad and them, those reparations marches we had in D.C. 30 years ago. Reparations presumes that a debt is owed. A debt is only owed if you're talking about human beings who have a culture that believes in behaving as humans in the world. That's not what we face. We face a modern world system that is premised on the idea that there is a gold standard of humanity, that's whiteness, and everybody else is in descending order with blackness on the other end of the spectrum. Our ancestors here had ancestors. Some people say, uh, we are our ancestors' wildest dreams. I'm like, boy, don't you ever reduce our ancestors' dreams to this settler, criminal, this crime scene, particularly when the first crime of this thing is against the Aboriginals, Native Americans. So... We heard earlier Kenneth evoked Callie House coming out of enslavement, saying you owe us. That's that's based on two things. Number one, it's based on the self-determination, the declaration of our humanity, which we never lost. I'm not a descendant of a slave. Like like uh, Kichi said, I'm a descendant of an African who was enslaved, was captured, a prisoner of war, marched into death camps, called plantations. Like you said, it's always about language. You write about that. says, you write, Dresden. What? So the first thing is we're self determining. The second thing is now it's on you, because this is unsustainable. This little country you have. Our people came here from other places. I, I would add to Durban, uh, the meeting that Mashud Abiola and them had in Nigeria, the reparations uh, piece. Understand the connection between international and domestic policy. If you want to see reparations in this country, watch how fast you get it when the other countries in Africa, the Caribbean. Asia, other places say, we're going to stop trading with y'all till you figure out what you're going to do domestically about the least of these in this country. Watch how quick you get reparations here. L- learn the history. So, our ancestors had ancestors. Our people uh-huh. will survive one way or the other. And at the end of the day, this reparations demand is really a test of how much longer this little thing we call the United States of America will continue in its current form. I don't expect it's gonna continue much longer because what's really in the dock is America. Our people will survive America as far meeter, our dear brother used to say.
5: Yes, it's it's coming, uh it's coming to an end. This has been an incredible panel. Let me just take a point of privilege to say one thing someone in the chat was saying how Malcolm X would have been a one of these black nativists. Uh to pick up on what Dr. Carr. Malcolm X went to Selma, Alabama to stand with that movement, to stand with Mrs. King in the pulpit of Brown Chapel. It is not well documented. It was done in secret. When he left Brown Chapel after speaking to SNCC, he said to SNCC that you all better give, he told the Alabama State Police and Governor George Wallace, you better give Dr. King what he wants because we'll have to get it another way. But after saying that out loud, he was driven secretly to see Dr. King in jail in Birmingham. The jailers would not let him into the jail. They said, you can go outside and talk to him through the window. So Malcolm X spoke to Dr. King through an outside window in the Birmingham jail. This is in February of 1965. They agreed that when Dr. King got out of jail, they would come together pick up where Marcus Garvey left off with the League of Nations and petitioned the world community for redress of our grievances. Malcolm had already been to Africa. He had been building coalitions around the world. That was a pan-Africanist tact that Dr. King himself agreed with. It is my hypothesis, Professor Carr, that it was no coincidence that Malcolm was Precisely two weeks later after that meeting in Selma and in Birmingham. So it is absolutely untrue that there was not the building of a world Pan-Africanist community picking up from Garvey, picking up from even Du Bois and others uh, so that we could seek justice for ourselves. And if that had been carried to its logical All been blessed by this reparations dream team for these two hours tonight. The first panel, incredible. Uh, We're thankful to all of them and all their hard work. This is the core of the reparations struggle. I want to shout out Sister Kenneth, too. You know, the House has its own whip, James Clyburn, and we respect him, but the reparations movement has a whip, too. And that's Kenneth Henry. She's been whipping these votes and getting these sponsors on board. Let's thank our panelists tonight, the male co chair national co-chair of the National Coalition of Blacks Preparations in America, and COBRA, join an organization. Kwame Ture said, every successful movement we had has been organization. Tweeting is not an organization. Facebooking, Instagramming is not an organization. Join an organization and support that organization. Join Thankful to Alderman Robin Rue Simmons, who has made uh, has claimed her own place in history, in the tradition of Cali House and Queen Mother Moore, as a pioneering elect. This is what a black elected official is supposed to do. A black elected official who is is pushing forward something like this, in in a a piece of creative legislation for our people. We are thankful for that, and of course, our our intellectual scholar of the hour, Dr. Carr, who continuing in the tradition of those who mentored him and me, Dr. John Henry Clark, Dr. Yosef Benyakin, and Dr. Sharshi McIntyre. And I know that they're looking down on my brother. Very, very, very proud. Uh, you know, as he talked, the ancestry, our people, we got we to gotta remember we come from Africa. We don't come from America. And our history is circular, not linear. The European is linear. We are circular. Doctor Greg Carr, you are seeing Doctor Clark, and Doctor Ben, and Doctor Sharshi coming back around. We can't have an argument about reparations and then act like we aren't African. If we're going to argue for reparations, we have to respect one another and and operate under the principles of Ma'at and under the principles of the Nguzo Saba. When we treat each other.